and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we take you inside all the big stories at the biggest clubs in world football, along with insights and analysis on all the issues that matter to you. I'm Ian McGarry, and joining me is my regular partner in this particular uh, bit of entertainment, and that's uh, Mr. Duncan Castles. Now, today's pod is our Your Questions Answered, and I'm sure you're all familiar um, with the format by now, and we have had literally hundreds of questions from you guys and you know please keep them coming because uh when we uh, we choose them we really are spot for choice um we're going to start with an old friend um of of the show brett ramirez who is um getting inside manchester city because he seems to think uh, that there's going to be big movements at the etihad this summer he says city seem comfortably poised for champions league next season uh, although, of course, the UFM has something to say about that, and have been linked to Bruno Fernandes and Rodri. Is the so-called transfer and Champions League ever going to happen, so ban, ever going to happen before May 16th? Duncan? I would be very surprised if they're banned um, for this window. Uh, this, this one's down to FIFA, um, and FIFA generally in the past, when they've uh, applied transfer bans, have done it with sufficient time um, that the club had um, an opportunity to contest it uh, and get it suspended for for the window coming up. So it would make more sense for FIFA to make a decision um, during the summer and then apply the transfer window ban for um, January. Um, And then City would probably contest it and may or may not manage to postpone it to um, uh, the the next summer window. But certainly City are doing their planning um, in the expectation that they will be able to buy players this summer. Um, And yes, uh, our our listener um, mentions Bruno Fernandes. That's a... It's an interesting subject because you've seen a lot of reporting that um, City are about to complete a, uh, I think it's been described as a 55 million euro um, transfer of the Sporting Lisbon and Portugal midfielder. Um, Bruno Fernandes is a very good player. Um, He's put up exceptional goal scoring and goal creating numbers at Sporting this season. Um, He's by some margin the best player at that club. Um, I'm not sure he's a Manchester City player. Um, talking to people I trust who are paid to um, pick and select uh, players for top clubs in the Champions League, they don't see Bruno Fernandes as being player for one of the very biggest clubs in Europe, maybe for the second tier um, of clubs. Um, and He's a bit like, he's a bit of a Frank Lampard type midfielder in that he likes to play central and he likes to break into the box and score goals. And I'm not entirely sure, unless Pep Guardiola wants to change um, his system or have a variant on his system, where he fits into uh, the Manchester City way of playing. He's not as technical as David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, the players that... um, that Guardiola has been favouring in those positions. So it's a bit odd from that perspective. What's also odd is um, some of the reporting on the subject about intermediaries being involved who aren't involved in this deal. Um, And that the, the story was briefed 
by Sporting to Portuguese press um, to begin with. Uh, they, Sporting clearly wanted this story out that Manchester City um, were close to signing the player. And when a club briefs like that um, so early in the window um, for a fee which is substantially less than the player's release clause, uh, which is 100 million euros, you need to ask yourself questions about why they want that story out. And I've talked to several people um, who are familiar with the situation there, and they feel that this is sporting using what, what's become known in Portugal as the, the Nico Gaitan strategy. Um, you remember Nico Gaitan was a Benfica winger who, um, for about five consecutive windows, was supposed to be joining Manchester United. Uh, but Manchester United never, ever made a bid for him and were consistently, um, if you talk to the people who were involved in those transfer decisions, they consistently said, we are not interested in this player, we are not going to be signing this player. This is Benfica putting the story out because they want to sell him for big money elsewhere. I think it's interesting that Manchester City have now replaced Manchester United as the club of choice from the Nico Gaitan strategy, i.e. if you want to advertise your player to the market, and ramp up the price, uh, pick the biggest club with the biggest money um, to do so uh, in England. And that's no longer Manchester United, it's Manchester City. Um, the, in the background to this is some of the recent history with sporting in that uh, you'll remember we told you last season about the, the, the problems Sporting had with their playing staff when, when their uh, ground was invaded by supporters. Um, a number of their players sued the club um, for breach of contract uh, and to be allowed to leave the club for free. Um, Rui Patricio used that strategy to get his move out of Sporting to Wolves, uh, although eventually Wolves agreed a transfer fee um, with Sporting. It was uh, massively reduced in what his real market value should be. Um, what happened with Bruno Fernandes is, uh, and with some other sporting players is the club, I'm told, did a side agreement with the player saying, if you agree to stay with us um, for another season, we will ignore the 100 million euro release clause in your contract. And if there is a, a bid, we'll give you a side agreement. Um, if there is a bid, which I'm told is that the figure in question is of 35 million euros, we will allow you to leave. Um, and there's a penalty clause in that side agreement, such that if the, um, the a club matches that 35 million fee and Sporting decide not to sell uh, Bruno, they have to uh, pay a compensation, an immediate compensation payment to Bruno of 5 million euros uh, for uh, not allowing him to leave for 35 million. So where does that leave Sporting? They think they can get 60 million for the player. Uh, if they work the market the right way. And the calculation would be if we get 60 million, uh, we take that, we pay Bruno 5 million of it as compensation for um, uh, not adhering to the agreement, side agreement we made with them, and we take uh, the 20 million as, as additional profit. So I think that's, that's the situation. I'd be very surprised if he goes to Manchester City, um, given all of those elements and what I'm hearing. Um, I think he will move for certain this summer. Sporting need the money, and that's why they're marketing the player. I'm told there's significant interest from Italy. I think there is interest from other English clubs, um, but I think this might take a, a little time to resolve while um, Sporting play their advertising games, and, uh, and Bruno himself decides where he wants to go 
and he obviously has a fair amount of leverage because of this um, side agreement he made with Sporting last summer. Sticking with City for the moment, Duncan, um, you wrote an interesting piece about Leroy Sané and his potential future at Manchester City uh, recently. And um, I think anyone who saw the game against Leicester uh, on Monday night will have noticed when Sané came on for um, young Phil Foden, uh, he was so bad <clears throat> that one commentator or one co-commentator said that he was convinced that Guardiola would withdraw Sané uh, and therefore do the double hook, which of course is the most humiliating thing that can happen. Uh, and never mind professional football, even Sunday league. Now, I, I certainly noticed how poor he's been, the fact that he, obviously he had difficulties, I think personal difficulties last summer. Um, Guardiola seemed to have lost trust in him. Then he had a, a, a good spell mid-season as well. Do you think he's going to be there next next year um, uh, for, for pre-season, Duncan? Or do you think City have already got someone in mind to replace him? City want to keep him, and of course you'd want to keep him. Um, this piece I wrote for the Daily Record, I, I looked at his um, statistics for the year, and they're phenomenally good in terms of uh, goal scoring and goals created, uh, given the, uh, the sparse amount of games he's played. And he's basically, I think he's on tw- he was on 21 Premier League starts for the season. He's one of only three players in the entire division who've, who've uh, scored 10 or more Premier League goals and be credited with 10 or more Premier League assists, the other two being Raheem Sterling um, and Eden Hazard. And he's on, um, I think, uh, Hazard had played over 80% of the games and Sterling, sort of 80% of the playing time in the Premier League. Sterling's very close to that number. Sani only had uh, 57% going into that game on Monday night. And obviously, that would have taken his numbers down again. Um, the issue is he is not... Um, agreed a new contract. He's got two years left. Manchester City uh, want to retain him, um, but they have not put a offer in front of Sani that is um, acceptable to him financially. And I think you can see why he is insisting on having his pay raised to near the top level at the club because of what he's doing on the pitch. Um, he's only 23. He's got a um, huge scope for development. I think if he moved to um, almost any club in Europe, he would expect to be a starter in every game and to be made the centrepiece of their attack. You know, Bayern Munich, for example, he's a German international, would seem um, a very good fit for Sani, given that they need uh, wide players. He's left-footed too. Plays off the off the left wing, which is um, left wingers are always in greater demand than right wingers. Um, so, Sani's in a position where he can play hardball over his contract. Um, but in the background, you've got this standoff between him and Pep Guardiola. Um, he's a difficult individual. He's been a problematic player to coach at his previous club, Schalke. Um, you can love left. Uh, him out of the World Cup squad entirely because he didn't feel he had contributed enough to the German team when he was coach and felt that uh, he would be a poor squad member, um, a problematic squad member to have in the camp. Um, And that probably backfired on on Love in terms of uh, missing his pace and incisiveness when Germany were struggling in the World Cup and went out in the the group stage. But there's clearly an issue with the player, um, 
Yeah, I, I wrote in the piece about uh, a training ground incident where uh, Sani was uh, throwing his hands up in the air when the, the, the exercise didn't start on time and, and Guardiola sarcastically responding to him and apologising. Uh, Leroy, you know, we, we all apologise and then going off and muttering to himself in that slightly uh, manic, uh, madman fashion that, that he has to him. Um, that kind of thing has been going on through the season. Um, Guardiola has talked about his qualities as a player and how he wants to retain him, but he has publicly mentioned that there are shortcomings in his games and game and things that he wants Sani to improve on, particularly in terms of controlling the game and that, that kind of tactical awareness of the entire team that is so important to Guardiola and the way he plays. And then the, the additional element here, which is unusual for Manchester City, um, is that Bagheera Chikibiristan is telling friends that if they don't manage to get Sani to sign a new contract this summer, and it's clear that he's not going to sign one, then they will need to sell uh, this summer because they don't want to let him run his contract down to that final year where the value falls. I guess don't want to have a situation of a the standoff that they've had this season between Guardiola and Sani and let his valuation fall. Then, so they're making it, they're considering a pragmatic position of we've got two years left in his contract. He's shown himself to be an exceptional player. If we sell him this summer, we can take over 100 million euros easily for him. And then we reinvest that in another area, in the same area of the team and another player. One of the players that they are, um, they've been spending a lot of time scouting and doing the groundwork for a potential transfer is John Felix um, of Benfica, who we've uh, talked about in the podcast and on several occasions. Um, Bergiristan was in Lisbon uh, to watch Jean Felix become the youngest player to score um, a Europa League hat trick last month. Um, he spent that game in uh, George Mendes, the agent of Jean Felix's uh, corporate box at the stadium, and was taken across to be introduced to Felix's parents during the game. And this is kind of very typical Bergiristan. Um, operating strategies once they are good way down the line in terms of thinking this could be a player uh, we want to sign then they want to find out about his background talk to people close to him talk to the player himself and see whether he fits into um, the character of player they want to have in their in their squad um, obviously the block here is going to be the release clause um, City don't think he's worth 120 million euros. Nobody wants to buy him for 120 million euros at present, but Benfica will not sell the player this summer unless they're forced to. So the price will have to be um, 120 to get him. Um, and the expectation from the people close to Jean-Felix is they will get a bid for that amount of money at a certain point, um, and the player will likely choose to go there when that bid comes. Interesting in terms of how Manchester City respond because Pep Guardiola has been quite vocal um, during this season, wanting the club to be faster and more aggressive in securing talents like Felix um, and not being beaten to them by opponents. And you, you can see why it would be worth taking 
I'm not sure it's even that much of a risk. Um, the assessment of the players' qualities are so high, but worth putting down that money so early for a player who at 19 could be a key player for Manchester City for over a decade and fits very well into Guardiola's system and the type of football Manchester City play and could play multiple positions in that second line of attack or even play as a centre-forward the way that um, Guardiola uses centre-forwards for City. Brett Ramirez, I would like you... <clears throat> Once you listen to, to our podcast today, to go and tell all of your friends the value you got for your question from Mr. Castles, who has just broken his own record for the longest ever answer on the <laughs> Q and A pod of a Wednesday. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to go to one which I particularly caught my eye, Duncan, from uh, our friend Derek Halshback, who says, with how much influence the Premier League clubs have in worldwide transfer uh, deals, stock market. Why haven't the big six premiership clubs colluded to bring astronomical transfer fees down? It seems like they would work together to suppress the market, as we've seen in the US with MLB and NFL. Now, what I like most about Derek's question is it's full of common sense. I mean, why wouldn't they do that? Why, given that, um, as we you know, as we know, when any English big English club goes into uh, negotiate a transfer. Um, alongside, let's just say, the likes of Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or PSG, the fee automatically gets increased by 25%. And this is done because there is a perception everywhere else in the world, and especially in Europe, that because of the broadcast money involved in the, the, the English Premier League, that the cash slush fund is so much greater than they're entitled to basically rip them off. <clears throat> but, of course, what we've seen... Um, and I think uh, uh, Gary Neville used a very interesting phrase um, when he talked about Manchester United's transfer um, dealings in the last uh, two years. He said, they've been played on big transfers. And uh, I think he's basically, he, he knows as well as we do that, that what happens when English clubs go in. So, look, obviously market forces will control the market. Um, and as I said, if it's an English club is interested, then the price gets hiked. Uh, if the six clubs said, right, we're going to put a stop to this now, like we're, we're going to form a pact uh, into which we will say, um, no, no longer, we're not going to be ripped off, we're not going to pay extortionate fees, etc., etc. Can you imagine what effect that would have um, on ter in terms of competition for players? Because what we've seen, um, certainly in the last, of, well, even in the last window, when Manchester City and Manchester United were competing for the signing of Alexis Sanchez. Eventually got to a point where um, Manchester City actually did say, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And Manchester United were, you know, as it turned out, the fools to pay the money, um, given the way that um, Sanchez has stunk Old Trafford out in that interim period um, since, since arriving. So it's because of the market, because you're often competing for the same players, because you are, you do have the money and your elite clubs, then you'd effectively be saying, yes, I'm going to cut off my nose to spite my face here, um, just over a point of principle. So that would be my take on uh, why they haven't um, gotten together. Duncan, have you, would you agree or you, anything else? Um, well, I just wanted to congratulate, congratulate you on the longest ever question in the the transfer window Q&A. Um, I was just trying, trying to get my voice in a bit, you know, but you were speaking for about two hours there. I, mean, I actually watched Ben Hart. <laughs> well, you were answering. 
I think I think Derek raises a very good point here, and I think um, certainly the American owners of Premier League clubs, the Glazers, um, Benway Sports Group, um, Arsenal with the Cronkies, I think also Roman Abramovich uh, would be quite happy to go uh, uh, in some kind of collusional or American style system where you had a, a draft even, um, get rid of relegation. I think some of these clubs are, are keen on the, the um, European Super League model that's being proposed. Um, so just guarantee the revenues and keep competition at a cosy level between the clubs so that they get bigger and stronger and everyone makes a profit. Uh, fortunately, football doesn't work that way. Um, and that's, that's the key um, thing stopping this from happening because you're talking about the big six clubs. Well, the big six are competing every year for usually four places in the Champions League, which make significant um, difference to the revenue of the club um, and to their commercial marketing possibilities. So they have to compete with each other um, domestically. Uh, and the biggest way for clubs to compete still is um, the hiring of talent. Um, therefore, the collusion essentially becomes impossible, even domestically. When you add in the, um, the the fact that you're competing on a on a European level for these top players, um, you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona with uh, revenues uh, bigger than uh, all of the I think all of the Premier League clubs at present. I think they're both ahead of Manchester United at present, but usually bigger than five of the of the big six in England, and sometimes bigger than all six. You've got Paris Saint Germain. Um, the nation state club. Uh, you've got Bayern Munich, who've got huge revenue as well. And, and until recently, uh, I've tried to avoid getting into bidding wars on a European level and just kind of dominating the, the German scene. But we see this summer, um, they're already putting down fees of 80 million euros for, for defenders in advance because they feel they have to go into the, that market and, and compete and, and rebuild and make themselves competitive uh, in Europe. Again, you've got Juventus as a, as a mega power in Italy who, have, uh, who took the, the best player in the world um, last summer and have substantially increased their wage bill. The, the collusion is impossible um, for the big six in England. Uh, it would have to come in that format that um, you know, Andre Agnelli at Juventus is proposing of a, of a European Super League. And maybe, maybe some years down the line, if they get the European Super League working and they manage to exclude access to uh, smaller clubs to it, they could um, start having things like salary caps and a draft system and uh, and uh, increasing their profits um, and guaranteeing profits for each of them by doing so. Um, but that day is a long way off, fortunately, because I think it would be horrendous um, for football. I think the, the ecosystem we have, which is certainly not without its flaws, I, um, does produce great sport and great drama and is one of the reasons why football is the most popular sport in the world. I think... Um a good example of you know how this doesn't work, Duncan, is indeed the world record transfer of Neymar um, when his rescission clause was over 200 million euros. And we know for a fact that Manchester City and Manchester United 
were extremely interested and indeed had had negotiations with Neymar's father, his agent, <coughs> with regard to moving into northwest England, which may have been a factor, of course, in itself. But um, it was PSG who came in and just took blew everyone else out of the water. They went to the LFP offices, handed in a bank draft for the, the money required, and then just walked out again. So it's, uh, when it comes to um, uh, uh, collusion, it's more likely to be exclusion, I think. Um, so now and again, we like to throw in a little bit of a curveball question, I think, as you all know. And um, I think it's safe to say that we've got one of our best ones ever here, um, even perhaps on a, a par with would you rather fight, fight a clop horse or 10 clop ducks? Um, I think Bernard Bretonac may well be doing that uh, on nights out if he takes Duncan's advice here. He says, as a now self-medicating United fan of 50-odd years who cannot watch, any thoughts on crystal meth? <laughs> don't do it Benny don't do it Benny keep the faith keep the faith keep, keep the that. faith Bernard we, we, we can't of course condone uh, the use of class A substances on the Transfer Window podcast however we do sympathise with uh, <clears throat> your um, sort of plight of needing to find something to soothe the pain uh, of watching Manchester United <clears throat> so uh, from pain to of course the legendary Dunkey Awards uh, where we of course present uh, someone in the world of football with uh, the golden statue with the um, beautiful um, head and visage of Mr Castles atop it. And uh, this week, we've decided to... Um, we've been inspired by someone who I'm about to mention, but I'm going to mention, first of all, <coughs> the award itself, which is the Kevin Keegan Award for Crazy Moments on Camera. I don't think I need to explain that one to you guys. I mean, you know that I'd love it as well. Um, <coughs> and we were inspired. <coughs> inspired we were by... Uh, Neil Warnock, um, during um, his team's weekend game, just before the match. Uh, I'm sure if you haven't seen it, please go on to your uh, video platform and find it. He goes into the camera and makes his face into a, a large egg shape um, and uh, he's got his hands behind his back looking menacing uh, in a very channeling his inner Liam Gallagher type way. Very, very funny, which of course Neil Warnock is really funny, so that was, you know, he's worth a nomination for that alone. Uh, a second one... The legendary dancing dad, Alan Pardew, when his uh, West Ham team scored in the FA Cup final some years ago. And again, if you haven't seen it, please don't miss it. But the third one nomination, I'm going to have to do a bit of contextualising because we've taken you way back to 1994 when Walter Smith is being interviewed by the legendary Chick Chico Young in the tunnel at Ibrox um, just after the club had completed the combined fee purchase of... Six million pounds, people. Talk about inflation transfers. They got Basil Bolly and Brian Lodrup for six million pounds. Anyway, Chico then basically questions these players' abilities to make an impact in Europe. And of course, that was because Rangers had just recently gone out to AEK Athens in the uh, European Cup. So, um, there's a bit of banter between them. Uh, Walter decides not to answer Chico's line of questioning. But then when Chico absolutely insists that Bolly and Lerdrup are not up to it. And I'm not going to get bleeped here. I'm just going to say, Walter cracks and says, are you effing mental? Basil Bolly won the European Cup last year and Brian Lerdrup played nine out of ten European Cup matches for the AC Milan team that won the European Cup. And you're saying that they're not effing good enough to play in Europe. Oh, away you go, ya wee. And so it went on. As I said, search Walter Smith Chick Young on YouTube and you can see it for yourself. Duncan, 
Uh, I'm going to be not just doing nominations and questions this week, of course. I'm going to be tearing open the golden envelope. And uh, you're going to give us your favourite one of, of the Kevin Keegan Award for Crazy Moments on Camera. I'm, I'm very glad the golden envelope's still there. I, was, I thought we'd lost we'd lost um, Kaiser Duck and the golden envelope in one week. Faster <laughs> for the podcast. But... <laughs> Uh, good, good nominations. I, I can't have Alan Pardew winning anything, and I can't even. Neither can he, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's excluded. Um, Neil Warnock. Uh, we, we've been talking about Class A drugs. Um, there have been some suggestions that that was uh, uh, inspired by Class A drugs. It's certainly, uh, if you if you haven't seen the um, the musical versions of, of that uh, video. Search them out on Twitter because they're absolutely fantastic and hilarious. But it has to go, um, this award has to go to Walter Smith. Um, and I, I think it's just a shame um, that he let Chick Young off by swearing um, uh, in his response after giving Chick Young, I think, four attempts to desist from asking what the uh, absolutely mental question. Um, and swore so much that uh, it couldn't be used on broadcast on, on Mr. Young's uh, PPC channel. Um, but yes, also very well worth watching and the winner of our award this week. So with that brilliant Donkey Award, uh, we will slam this particular edition of the transfer window shut. I do recommend getting yourself onto YouTube and seeing the Walter Smith one, though. And please get in touch. Tell us what you think about it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who haven't seen it before. Just um, type in the search Walter Smith Chick Young, and I'm sure it'll come up for you. Um, enjoy the swearing, enjoy the, the, the absolute sarcasm of the great tangerine player, Walter Smith. Uh, never mind his uh, obvious achievements at Rangers and Everton as manager. And anyway, once you do that, please get in touch. You can get in touch via our Transfer Window uh, Twitter account, at Transfer Podcast. You can talk to Duncan directly at Duncan Castles and me at GarboSJ. If you like what you've heard, and we know thousands of you do, please do us a favour in return. Log on to iTunes and give us a five-star review so that we can enlarge this community, expand the podcast, and give you even more of what you want. As for now, thanks for listening and see you on Friday.